This is the legendary Tom DeFalco, and you're listening to Superior Spider Talk. Welcome to the Superior Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdin, and I am the editor of GrindMyReels.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Thanks for joining us for the 24th episode of Superior Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors and a special guest, as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, we have quite a special guest today. For episode 24, we'll be talking to David Morell, author of First Blood. That's, that's a book that's the first appearance of Rambo back from 1972 for, for all you novel reading folks out there. And then also the upcoming new Amazing Spider-Man 700.1 and 700.2, also known as Spider-Man Frost, also known uh, for all you solicitation readers out there as The Return of Peter Parker. Woo, Peter Parker is back. For now. <laughs> well, guys, if you want to skip to a specific section and get right past our banter, you can just use the chapter selection arrows on your player. And also, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. So, Mark, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got in contact with David Morell for this interview? Well, I wish it was the most exciting of stories, Dan, but it's 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 kind of fun. I actually, um, David randomly started following me on Twitter a couple of months ago, and I, I looked up his profile and was like, oh, this is really awesome. The guy who wrote Rambo is following me on Twitter. I should follow him back. And um, within maybe a week or so of that happening, uh, Marvel announced... It was in that teaser in the letters page of, I think it was Superior 14 or whatever, where they were talking about uh, resurrecting the Peter Parker Spider-Man series as a miniseries. And they, they talked about the, the Spider-Man Frost story there. Uh, of course, that's not what Marvel ended up doing. They're doing it as these point ones uh, a few months later. But point being is I, I reached out to David and was like, oh, I see, I see you followed me and there's a Spider-Man connection here. Which I should have you on my show. And with a little bit of back and forth and back and forth and some technical help from you too, Dan, right? Oh, yeah. I taught him how to use Skype. <laughs> we, we were bringing, bringing everyone together by a superior spider talk. But no, we, we were able to set this interview up uh, as a way to kind of plug this upcoming series. And I got to say, uh, based on the, the, the upcoming interview you, you're all about to listen to, uh, this sounds like a really unique special story that's going to be uh, I, I mean besides special and unique I mean is there anything else you can use to describe it Dan I mean this feels like it's going to be a story unlike anything we've had in terms of Spider-Man comics yeah the closest thing that I can think of is Paul Jenkins but I mean I think we should just let them listen to the interview because you know I think you can sense how excited he is which I think has me very excited and uh, you know how excited we are just listening to him talk about this story alright well then take it away David Morell. Spider-Man and 
and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Well, we're here in uh, Superior Spire Talk with a special guest today. It's uh, David Morrell. David has, has scripted the upcoming uh, Amazing Spider-Man 700.1 and 700.2. Uh, it's, I believe the story is Spider-Man Frost with um, artist Claus uh, Jansen. Uh, David, of course, is also uh, very famous in literary circles for, for being the creator of, of Rambo when he wrote First Blood in, what's it, 1976? 1972. 72. Sorry about that. Um, but we're, we're very excited to have him here. Um, David, I guess just to, to kick us off, I mean, you know, we're obviously very curious about what, what this story is going to be, be about with Amazing Spider-Man. Could you tell us, what can you tell us, um, you know, before this, this comes out in early December about, yeah, it com- you know. It comes out on December 4. Uh, there's a kind of an epic uh, background to this, uh, and it really starts with, um, the Captain America, the chosen uh, six part uh, series that I did in 2007. And um, as, as anybody who wants to write for comics know, it, you know, it's tough to get the gig. And for me, it just it, it came very easily because uh, an editor at Marvel had the idea that the creator of Rambo uh, would perhaps be uh, uh, bring a bring a new perspective to write about. Captain America to uh, military icons, and uh, I didn't. I didn't know anything about writing for comics, although I had uh, really been a fan for a long time since I was a child. Uh, I remember a, a, a very young uh, putting on roller skates and roller skating to my local comic book store. And they used to have, uh, in fact, uh, you know, they'd have used comics there too, and you could, you know, rent uh, stacks of them and keep them for a week and bring them back and exchange them and pay a little bit more for the for the rental. And uh, so I was very excited to be asked, and um, I uh, I read a lot of books about. Um, comic book writing. Uh, the Will Eisner books were really, you know, just very useful. And um, what I came to terms with was that because um, I'm in the the Writers Guild, the, the movie uh, uh, writers union, and I'd written uh, enough scripts uh, and seen enough storyboards that I decided that I would treat comic books as if they were storyboards. Uh, and I, I, I was very struck uh, by something that Eisner said, that uh, one of the most important things in a comic uh, book is the, the skip, the, the space between uh, images, that there's a, a kind of a jump there that's very dramatic, and that if you could get the timing on the jump going, that you could probably, um, you know, uh, do okay writing for them. And uh, the other thing uh, that uh, came to me was that uh, I would treat each page as a paragraph, because I'm a novelist, uh, even more than a screenwriter, and that I would treat each page as a paragraph. Uh, and that uh, that really helped me in terms of the structure of how to do this. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll just move along, because I probably raised a lot of things that would that make you know, make you have further questions. But have, <laughs> having done the the the, the Captain America, uh, they uh, uh, Marvel then asked me to do a Spider Man, and and I don't know why they said do a two part Spider Man. I have no idea. 
but I was more than happy to do it. I mean, what a what a, a thrill to be able to have written uh, stories for two iconic uh, characters like like Captain America and Spider Man, uh, and. Um, the story was written actually several years ago, and uh, and it went into limbo. Uh, Klaus Janssen was assigned to it, and Klaus May is, is featured heavily in the story. And Klaus identified Aunt May, I am told, um, uh, I hope I have this right, identified uh, her with his mother and took a personal interest in the piece, uh, an emotional investment. So... Uh, Klaus did about half of the first issue, and I thought, oh, this is going along very nicely. And then he got sidetracked because of all kinds of other things going on in the Marvel world and other issues where our artists didn't deliver or they got sick or, you know, the deadline got all screwed up or something. And so for several years, he was working on a number of other things, always promising to come back and uh, finish his, his work on this two-part series. And uh, to my, just, I was, I'd actually given up uh, because uh, he was so busy uh, and, you know, he's so talented. And, mm-hmm. uh, and early in January, uh, my editor, uh, Stephen Wacker at Marvel, uh, contacted me and said, guess what, it's going to happen. So then, uh, you know, this year was uh, was very exciting to see the, the, the rest of the artwork come in and, um Oh, it, it's just been a really, really uh, exciting experience. And I'll let you guys ask me some questions. <laughs> no, no. I'm intrigued by this whole renting comics idea. I've never heard of that before. Well, uh, yeah, this was – now, I was raised in Canada. Uh, I'm, I'm old enough, in fact, that the EC comics, you know, the, the Haunt of Fear and the, inter- the Crypt of Terror, I can't remember what they were all called, but I just loved them. And I went through uh, as, a, as a child, I'm old enough to have seen the government, you know, try to co-op what comic books could be. Uh, and to me, you know, they were always, as I was growing up, um, a uh, you know, they were reactionary. They were cutting edge, so to speak, <laughs> given the horror comics cutting edge. And uh, uh, the way this store worked is uh, you, you could buy new ones, but uh, not everybody was collecting them. They were just, they wanted to read them. So they would take the comics back and the store would, you know, if you brought one, uh, or let's say you took three or four back, maybe you'd get to borrow two. Uh, and uh, so there was a kind of a lending library, and you paid either for a new one, which you could keep or bring back for an exchange, or else you paid a fee for, say, renting five or ten of them. Uh, but again, uh, you know, you'd bring them back. And so each week I was, I was, you know, putting down my my hard-earned money, actually my my mother's money, because <laughs> I was too young to do anything but take an allowance. Uh, and uh, you know, I'd roller skate down. I recall it was a Thursday evening. I I, I lived in a um, small town in Canada, and the comic book story was on the same street that we lived about five blocks away. And so I'd roller skate over and get my stuff and come back. And oh, it was it was very exciting. And but the EC comics were particularly. Uh, what I remember, and then how Mad Magazine switched from you know being a comic book to um, you know the magazine that it became. It sounds it sounds a lot, Dan. Like this is the uh, the precursor to um, what Marvel Unlimited digital app is <laughs> in yeah. terms of you pay your monthly fee to to to, to uh, 
have all you can eat Marvel comics, but I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like this your, your David's system a bit better. There's, I think, a little, a little more of a human. There's a much more of a human element to it. I, you I know, the, the amazing thing was that the comic books were in good shape. You that know, they, blows they, me away. They'd been, you know, recycled and recycled. There would have been, there was a long counter. I bet there were uh, maybe 20 or 30 stacks of maybe 20 comic books per stack that you could, you know, mix and match and all that. But they were in good shape. I, 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 I was always amazed by that. Um, <laughs> so, so David, just to, to jump back to the, the, the Spider-Man issues for a second sure. here. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, the world of Spider-Man is kind of upside down right now. We have sure superior, yeah, we have superior <laughs> Spider-Man. It's Doc Ock as as Peter Parker, and you know the fans either love it or have other ideas. But obviously, what you're what what you have written is a traditional Spider-Man yes. story with Peter Parker, right? Uh, it is, and, and uh, just to go back briefly to the Captain America, the, it, it it seemed to me that with all the you know, variants in the characters, both for Captain America and for Spider-Man. And, you know, some of these have gone way beyond uh, the original uh, con- concepts for the characters. And so what what I wanted to do for Captain America was, was go to the heart of the Captain America story, which is basically what does it mean to be a superhero named after the United States, who has been uh, uh, performing at a, an extreme heroic level since uh, after Pearl Harbor, uh, and uh, and I mean, what is how how can that wear you down? This these are this is you know these people can die, they can get sick, and uh, and so I just kept wondering about Captain America, what the toll would be personally uh, for for the effort he had selflessly uh, put in for the country and for the world. Uh, so I brought the same thing to Spider-Man, which is, all right, he's been doing this a very long time. What does it really mean that with great power comes great responsibility. What what is the meaning? Because I mean, you hear it echoed a lot in 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 some of the stories, but um, I want it to to put it into a life and death matter where a decision needed to be made. I can't go into the specifics, but a decision needed to be made uh, that was a life and death one uh, that would show how difficult that great power, great responsibility thing is. And, um, and I wanted uh, to, to emphasize Peter Parker. This is essentially a Peter Parker story. Spider-Man's in it, but it is Peter Parker. And, and, and it's about, again, the toll that being Spider-Man can take on, on someone like Peter if we make the assumption that he's a real person. Uh, and it seems to me that often... Um, in in the comic book uh, universe, it's not, not uh, uh, every, everywhere. I mean, we we're talking about Marvel, but we can talk about DC or Dark Horse or what have you. Um, the it seems that often, uh, 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 just as with movies these days, you know, the special effects took over and people forgot that these were characters that we want to identify with and care about. So. Uh, that was my goal to try to do this, having him perform heroically, Spider-Man, um, but to do it in a way that we would believe it uh, and that we would care uh, 
about uh, the outcome of what was happening and that it wasn't just a lot of running around. So that, that was my, basically my goal. Can you give us any bit of a tease as to uh, what uh, to entice us for these stories? Well, I, I can in, in this regard because the, the title kind of gives it away, Frost. Um, and uh, there have been, I know Marvel has released a few, um, you know, publicity items about it. It's about a major blizzard that hits New York City. And um, what, what would happen... Uh, if Aunt May were a primary casualty in uh, the blizzard and the sacrifices that he, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, has to make in order to um, rescue her. Uh, and I, that may even be more than, than I should talk about, but it's a, you know, it's an epical journey and it's a very revealing one. And if you were to, to I, I wrote it, to try to give it the kind of unity, it's it's basically sixty pages of of of, of writing, and I I wanted to give it the unity that I would bring to a short story that I was writing or a novel, so that um, you know if people read these two in tandem, uh, and then read them again, uh, they're going to see all kinds of devices that I use to to unify the piece and all kinds of you know, almost Joseph Campbell type hero with a thousand faces uh, archetypes, um, you know, bridge crossings and things of that nature, uh, rebirths, literal rebirths in the story uh, that, um, you know, have uh, what I hope uh, um, emotional power. How do you feel about um, it being sold as these amazing Spider-Man 700.1.2s instead of as its own standalone Spider-Man Frost idea. Well, uh, what was what I understood uh, from my editor was that uh, this story, which had been gestating for a bit, I mean, I'd written it, but then, you know, as I explained, Klaus, I mean, the artwork he has done for this is just extraordinary. And the colorist, um, I, re I regret that at the moment his name skips my mind. Uh, the, the colorist has has put a degree of color uh, and 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 uh, well, call it warmth. Given that this is a blizzard story, the warmth in it is amazing. I mean, I just gasped when I saw uh, what 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 these folks had done. Um, and anyhow, it, it had been around for a bit uh, because of Klaus having these other projects, and and it it seems to me, at least what what uh, what what someone at Marvel told me was that, you know, there there was among fans some uh, uh, problems with what had happened to Spider-Man with the, uh, you know, the, the the villain as it were becoming Spider-Man, and that. Um, Originally, I, I was told that this series was going to be called Peter Parker Spider-Man, and that the intent here was to emphasize, go back to basics and and deal with Peter uh, as much as, as Spider-Man. And and uh, when they, uh, you know, as they thought about how to lead this off, I mean, truly, it's it's just so. Uh, I mean, my goal was that at times, particularly at the end, that I hoped that people would weep. Um, there's a, a, a really poignant image near the end that I, you'll know what I'm talking about when you get there. And, 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 and 
when I saw it, I mean, I even know it was coming, but when I saw it, I, I kind of had a little catch in my throat, a little gasp. And then I actually, you know, I felt, uh, 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 you know, that feeling you have in your eyes before you might, might weep. And I, I know this might sound like exaggeration, but it's a very, very poignant story. Uh, very realistic, very human, and, and in parts even poetic. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, it, I'm a little confused about what this uh, what this magazine or whatever this series is now because if it had said you know Peter Parker Spider Man that's pretty clear but I don't understand all the numbers and all of that and um, but uh, you know I'm honored that, uh, that my story this this two part story has been chosen as the beginning of this uh, longer series so you know I mean it it's a collectible so I certainly can't complain about that. You're and not I think the only I, one who's confused by the numbers. I, yeah, yeah, I was about I, to say. <laughs> I don't get it. You know, I saw that. First, I thought it was a typo. Uh, when I saw some of the publicity, I said, oh, they, you know, this looks like a computer glitch, and they didn't get the title in it. It's a bunch of numbers. But, you know, maybe it makes sense to somebody. I, I don't know. But, you know, as I said, I'm happy to have, have worked with everybody, and they must have reasons for having done it this way. Yeah, I mean, when Marvel starts, Mar- Marvel started this point one thing oh, a couple of years ago, and initially it was designed to be kind of an out of continuity story that would be a jumping on point for new yeah. readers. Like, oh, you know, like it's the end of the major arc, and before we get into the next wave of stories, here's kind of a standalone. But you know, as time has gone on, and ser- and we, you know, we have Marvel now and Marvel now two and reboots and whatnot. I think that they've kind of taken license with how they number these these series sometimes. My, uh, I don't get to comic book stores as often as I want to, but my feeling here is that it's too complicated. Uh, <laughs> that you know, things have to get simpler. Make it, make it easy. Uh, for the fan, not not difficult, but again, you know, surely, uh, you know, it's not like somebody came in one day and said, you know, let's do this. I mean, they, I, right. I, I take for granted they have meetings about this, and you know that that there is some greater scheme that uh, that makes sense to them. But you know, it's it's like the workings of God in our universe. You know, we. <laughs> We don't know why it snows on a given day, but, you know, we hope that there's some logic to it all. Yes. You you would really get along with our our friend of the podcast, Paul Jenkins, who wrote Spider-Man in the late 90s, because you have the same thought about the character and, and Marvel as he does, I think. Yeah. Well, we have to if if we don't believe it and if we don't care, then it's just a bunch of special effects. And and uh, but uh, you know they uh, they understood what I was trying to do, and they were you know uh, re- happy to accommodate me. What what I one of the things that occurred to me was that it may be because of my background. You know, this is my as a novelist, this is my forty first year as a published novelist, and that's. You know, that's an eternity in publishing. Uh, most most careers end at 15 or 20 years. And, you know, I'm, I just have been able, you know, through partially through adaptation, because I've, I've tried not to do the same thing. I tried to evolve and, you know, keep exploring. Um, but I, I wondered if because of my background, they didn't give me some latitude. Uh, that uh, perhaps a, another writer, you know, from a different background might not have had. I, 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 I have no way of telling it. I've never talked to anybody about it. Mm. Well, 
not, not to not to do a, a rough transition here, but you know, earlier in the conversation, you were talking a lot about um, Klaus Janssen's art. I mean, he's yes. he's one of my favorites. I mean, obviously, his his run with Frank Miller on Daredevil is like some yeah. of my favorite comics of all time. Could you could you talk about just the collaboration process with Klaus? I mean, you know, how much were you in contact with him? I mean, what what was what was the give and take like with with him? Well, uh, it's it's been interesting. I have had no contact with him whatsoever. Now, uh, some might say that's you know a liability, but I'll tell you how this is, is going down. It's been, and the same thing happened with Captain America: The Chosen. Uh, I uh, handed in my script. Uh, Klaus um, was uh, you know really taken by it. I mean, and I'm sure that it's hard to you know difficult to get uh, someone like him. Uh, you know, on on your team, uh, uh, and uh, he he felt so personally about the story that I was very flattered. And and um, as this developed, as I as I said, he'd been you know sidetracked on other projects. But every once in a while, I'd get a note through my editor saying, you know, Klaus wonders if maybe you could do this uh that in in that in in the second part of the story could you insert this scene and i i don't want to say what it is because it's one of the joys of, of the of the piece it really um you know it's a kind of uh all-star uh kind of scene and um i i i understood immediately uh, what he was getting at and of course uh with uh, in the old days, as you know, uh, writers just did a story and, you know, a kind of a couple of paragraphs and, and the and the artist uh, went with it and somebody supplied captions. But um, w- the, the things are different now. And, and the method I use is to describe is to choose how many panels there will be per page and then uh, to describe what happens in every panel. Uh, and it add the the captions, of course, and you know I saw in some uh, uh, of the the spider man frost pages there are as many as and, and Klaus can do this there are as many as eight and ten panels per page um, on others uh, there are only uh, and I wanted it this way uh, only one image and uh because you can do this in comic books, I, you know, we tried to arrange the pages so that the reveal pages, the big single image pages, would be what happened when you turned the page and suddenly were confronted with the new image, you know, using the turning of the page as part of the drama of the story. Uh, and Klaus uh, was just brilliant about this. And every once in a while, uh, as the artwork came in, I'd see that he took an image that I had put, you know, perhaps uh, at the end of a page or or wherever, and he turned it into a full page. It, it hadn't been anything I'd imagined uh, as the full pages that I'd chosen, but it would be beautiful in terms of, you know, the way he was interpreting the story. Uh, so what happened then is um, I finally got everything about six weeks ago, and I then had to go back and rewrite the captions, take out captions or add new captions in order to make the story compatible with the alterations he'd made in my suggestions of how many uh, images per page or, uh, you know, 
in in some cases where he took one image uh, out of a out of a, a group and made it a full page. So it's been even though I haven't had a chance to communicate with him, I feel as if there's been some kind of mind reading at work because uh, you know he's he's been interpreting what I've done and now I am interpreting. Uh, we're still working on the second uh, uh, issue. Uh, now I'm interpreting what he's done so that, you know, we're all going to get to the same place. Uh, and it's as if, you know, the two of us seeing him seeing this visually, whereas I'm, you know, supplying the words on the page, uh, that we're, we're going to eventually have, have uh, come up with something that's a true co collaboration. Do you feel like the art kind of, uh, you know, the artist kind of gets the the last say? It's kind of this like death of the author thing. <laughs> well, in this case, you know, I'm reading along, and, and uh, it, it, he he cut a subplot uh, from from the story, one that I was very fond of, and. Uh, uh, but when I saw what he was doing, I realized that we didn't have room. We could either go for a big effect with uh, I'm thinking particularly of one full page image that I hadn't uh, imagined, even though it was an image that I described, but I hadn't seen it as a full page. Um, so uh, because of, you know, these adjustments that uh, had to be made, um, uh, it, yeah, it, it's just been uh, uh, a very, very creative uh, experience and and now I'm uh, you know uh, the images trump everything of course I mean that the, the reason we look at a at a comic book is for the quality of the images so um, and I'm you know I'm I'm uh, when I see something that what he what he did and it was uh, you know we're talking about three or four page adjustment that he made and uh, when I saw that I thought okay this this is very good I have to get back to work and figure out how to adjust the story and you know put in explanatory captions or take out captions or what have you and uh, but you know as I said it, it it worked out I'm I'm really happy about this um, did you did you feel that you you struggled at all with the transition from you know not being a novelist to, to writing comic books, I mean, I know you had the experience with the Captain America mini, but even, I guess, predating that, I mean, your first time uh, making that transition, I mean, was this kind of an awkward one for you initially, or do you feel like you, you hit the ground running with it? Well, it, it goes back to the idea that I'd, I'd written for movies and I'd seen enough storyboards that uh, that part I was comfortable with. But the, the, in specifics, the way this happened was when back in 2007, when Marvel came to me to do the Captain America, the Chosen uh, series, um, I was honest with them. I said, look, you know, I want to do this, but I I've never written for, for comic books. So, you know, we have a, a, a basically a situation where I have to find out whether I can do it. Uh, and so that's when I, uh, I'm, I'm a good student. I learn well and I apply myself to learn well. So, uh, you know, I went to, to the Eisner books particularly, and I was, uh, I, I, I was so fascinated by the, uh, particularly that business of the, you know, the jump from one image to another, that pop, that crackle, whatever it is. There's a, uh, there's something about what you leave out between the images that adds to the story. And uh, so I wrote, uh, I, I sent them. This is we're talking about Captain America. I sent them a uh, a a the first issue. Uh, I wrote it on spec. 
Uh, I wanted to do it, and we were all trying to figure out whether I could do it. Uh, so I said, all right, I'll write it on spec, and then you guys can decide. And if you don't think I can do it, well, you know, we all try. And uh, they were very, uh, they said, yes, you can do this. But we're nervous because this is about the Afghanistan war, and we think it's too political. And I said to them, well, look, uh, I don't know anybody who objects to the Afghanistan war. It's the it's what it's when everybody jumped over to Iraq and split forces. Uh, and what were we doing in Iraq anyhow? That you know that's the that's the controversial one. And I, I said Afghanistan isn't going to be a problem for you. And they said, well, maybe, maybe. And then I thought, all right, the ball's in my corner. So I wrote the second issue on spec. And I sent it in. And now I was getting emails that said, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I'm responding, well, I, I feel very, I think this is an important story and I really want to do it. And I'm showing you the possibilities. And they said, you know, we don't have to pay you for this. <laughs> <laughs> and Sounds I said, like Marvel. <laughs> I said, I, I understand this. It's just, I'm doing this on spec. Uh, because I want you to see how serious I am. This is a story that should be uh, released. And they said, all right, we'll talk about it. And then I thought, well, still in my court. I, I haven't been persuasive enough. So I wrote the third issue on spec. <laughs> <laughs> and that did the trick. Uh, the, the, they had half of it. They, the, I was writing. I wasn't getting paid, and uh, they understood my enthusiasm. And the enthusiasm then seemed to spread. Uh, and um, and then we got Mitch uh, Brightweiser involved as for the artist, and you know the whole thing went very well on that one. Um, I I stipulated. I realized that I could be you know a director and and cinematographer and everything. So. For, because this is in Afghanistan for Captain America the Chosen, the script says that the first, I think it's the first 16 or 18 pages, will have uh, desert colors, washed out blues, uh, muted browns. That's going to look grainy. It's going to look like somebody hurled sand at the page uh, that we're reading. Uh, and uh, it, there'll be a battle, and there we'll see primary the primary color of red for the blood and some bright flashes for uh, muzzle flashes and things like that. Um, but we're still holding back on the color. And then, then I said, um, the only the first time we're going to use primary colors is when Captain America shows up, and this will be the first full page image. Uh, and it will have he will fill the page, and we'll be overwhelmed. This is what I said in the script. We'll be overwhelmed by the red, white, and blue of his uh, costume. And I said, if we can manage it, I want this so that we don't see him until we turn the page and he's suddenly staring at us. Again, using the turning of the page as part of the story. Uh, and this was all in the script. And uh, Mitch, you know, Brightweiser just had a lot of fun working with this. And then the, uh, the, the colorist, um, and I'm going to lean over here and uh, uh, see if I can't find my copy of, of Captain America the Chosen because he was he was so I'm I'm away from the, the I'm sorry I, I leaned away from the computer. I'm trying to see where I put that. Maybe you guys have it there. 
um, and, and we can track down the name of the colorist. Because, you know, uh, for people who don't know, the, you know, the author writes the script, and, and it's a detailed script. Then the illustrator does the images in black and white, and then the colorist comes in and adds the vibrancy. So it's a three-part process. And, you know, any any weakness in any of those three, and you're not going to have a, a, a satisfying story. And, and in both cases, the colorist uh, for Captain America, The Chosen, and Spider-Man Frost, the colorist has just done outstanding work. And uh, remind me how I got off on that. Tell me, tell me what your question was. Well, I'll tell you the colorist is Brian Reber. Oh, that's it. Yes, yes, yes. He's wonderful. Uh, and he got, he was very excited. He, I, I communicated with him and he said he just had so much fun making it look as if somebody hurled sand at the page. You know, it's very gritty, grainy images. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, that is trying to do something new and uh, go in, in new directions. Well, I have a question about, um, you know, once you're contacted about working on a Spider-Man book and they've hired you on to do this story, what, yes. do, they, what do they send you in terms of, uh, like, reference material and and ways of getting to know the character better? Well, in this case, uh, I'm trying to remember if I received anything. I mean, I, you know, Spider-Man's a pretty accessible character, and uh, uh, with uh, uh, when I was doing the Captain America uh, they sent me, you know, tons of comic books uh, uh, for for different characters, uh, the Punisher, and and I can't remember who all else, but there were a lot of them. And then, uh, uh, then they sent me a, just a whole bunch of Captain America uh, uh, pieces uh, to, you know, so that uh, I was because I what I wanted to do was kind of encapsulate his career in that in that story and that six part story. So uh, it was really, really helpful to, to get all that. And, and let me just uh, tangentially say that uh, Marvel was also very good about another suggestion I had, which was that uh, when the six part Captain America, the chosen uh, series was released in book form uh, that uh, they allowed me to write an afterward for telling, you know, kind of my odyssey into the comic book world and also allowing me to, to provide the issue of the script for the first issue. I had a, 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 an editor friend uh, when Captain America came out uh, in comic book form, uh, not in, in the, you know, in the collected book form. And he looked at some of the issues and he said, well, you didn't have to do much writing, did you? And I thought, what's he talking about? And I, so I asked him to elaborate and he says, well, there's hardly any dialogue. <laughs> and I, And I said, but, but this is a visual medium. You know, my goal is to tell the story first visually, uh, just as you would in a movie, and then to use the, the captions, what he called dialogue, um, in order to, you know, add texture uh, and continuity to, to the images. Uh, so I thought it was very important uh, in the the book version, all six uh, issues collected, uh, to have that script for the first issue to educate my fans who might not be comic book fans what's involved in how detailed and painstaking it is to write for this medium. So I was, and, and I, I, I talked to uh, some executives at, uh, I was at Comic Con that year, and uh, in fact, they, they gave me their, um, 
an award there. I was I was very touched to receive uh, uh, their uh, Comic Con award. And uh, uh, anyhow, I, uh, when I was speaking to the Marvel folks there, and they said, "Sure, if you want to put that in, let's do it." And you know, so it adds a whole lot of value. And now in this one, you know, gosh, it wouldn't it be nice if we could, if I don't know. It's just it's just not enough there for maybe for uh, to have these both come out with me writing another essay and and putting the script in. But you know, it is sixty pages. Uh, so uh, it, it, what I'm doing, uh, f- um, my local comic book store here in Santa Fe, which is called Big Adventure Comics. Uh, I'm going to do a signing uh, with them on December four when the first issue comes out, and then I'll do a follow up one. Uh, the next month for the second part. Uh, but what I've decided to do is for people who come to signings and, and what have you, that I'm going to give out signed pages of the script so that people can, again, you know, I, I dare say some fans even don't know how painstaking and detailed uh, a script can be. And, you know, it's like an extra bonus. And I, I think people will be, be real happy to get these uh, signed script pages. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, well, again, it, you know, I was a teacher for so many years, and I, you know, I'm not happy sometimes unless I can provide information. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you on that one. <laughs> um, you know, David, I, I just wanted to ask you about, um, you know, when you talk about the characters that you've worked on in comics uh, so far. We have Captain America, we have Spider Man. I mean, these are obviously two of the, the the great comic book icons that are out there. Now, obviously, you know, in, in your work as a novelist, you know, Rambo is a huge icon in his own right. Pretty, pop pretty, pretty big icon. Yeah. Yeah. So so was it like kind of, you know, I guess servicing your own icons versus having to write somebody else's icons, you know, well, like I mean, it's, it, if it weren't for Rambo, I wouldn't wouldn't be doing these, you know, Marvel wouldn't have thought of me. Um, it is uh Somebody was talking to me about Rambo a couple of years ago and pointed out something that was rather um, amazing to me when I thought about it. That um, in the 20th century, uh, if we look at thriller characters who were in novels and then adapted to movies, and uh, you know, hence were you know disseminated around the world. Uh, that there were only five that reached that kind of iconic status. There was, in chronological order, there was uh, Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, James Bond, Rambo, and Harry Potter. Uh, and, uh, you know, when this was put to me that way, I was, I was stunned. Uh, it is, it's a true statement. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think you get the idea, you know, as we talk uh, um, that I'm, I'm, I'm not stuck on myself. This is, uh, I mean, this is a, uh, a profession to me. It's a vocation to me. It's, you know, I care about stories and I do my best and, and you can't always tell when something will hit or when it isn't, you just treat it each time with the same degree of, of, of discipline and, and seriousness. And, um, you know, it, it, it's out of my hands that Rambo became what he is. Um, I, the novel First Blood was published in 1972, which, as I mentioned earlier, makes this my 41st year as a published author. And then it wasn't, it wasn't until 10 years later that the movie was made. But in the meantime, the novel had been taught in colleges and high schools and universities and all kinds of places. I mean, it, you know, it had 
had a place already, and then the movie, you know, just sort of built upon that. And and uh, and and again, um, you know, Rambo died at the end of my novel. He died at the end of the first version of the movie. Uh, but when they showed it to test audiences, the test audiences got very upset because they wanted, they were thinking of Sly as being like Rambo or, I'm sorry, like Rocky. And, you know, would Rocky die? No. Well, then Rambo can't die either. And, <laughs> I mean, that was the sort of logic. And, and so what they did was um, reshoot the ending. And bring him back to life. They went back up to British Columbia and shot a new ending. And it was only then, uh, and, and the picture was such a big hit, uh, it was only then they said, you know what, we can make sequels. Uh, the, the thought had not occurred to them before. So, you know, how, <laughs> how, how's that for an accident, you know, for a, that a test audience could make the producers reshoot the ending, which would then, because of the movie's success, prompt them to do later films. Now, uh, what's odd here is that there have been four films and uh, the character in the my novel is not quite the same as the character in the first movie, First Blood. He's certainly not the same as the character in the second and third films because, you know, the intention of my novel and, and of the, the first movie was to show the cost of being in combat. Uh, but when the sequels, uh, Rambo First Blood Part Two and Rambo Three came out, they almost turned it around and glorified combat. Uh, you know, that it, it became like a contradiction from the first novel, from the novel and the first movie. Now, uh, where this gets interesting is Sylvester Stallone uh, called me. Uh, I think it was in 2006. Um, the, the the fourth film came out in 2007. And he called me and, and, and he said, you know, uh, in retrospect, I'm not happy with the second and third movies. And remember, I had nothing to do with, with, the, with the movies, so I can talk this way. Uh, but but, 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 he, but Sly, what Sly said was, um, you know, they, they glorify a combat in a way that I'm now uncomfortable with. So he said, I've decided in the fourth film to make it as if Sam Peckinpah had directed it. And to make it, a, you know, a harsh movie to show the cost. And, and uh, there, there's some problems with the movie. Uh, uh, but the, the good parts, uh, in, uh, it, uh, he's, he's cleansing himself all the time. In, in the movie, he stands in the rain a lot. He pours water over his head. He washes his face a lot. He's dripping his hands in water all the time. He's trying to get clean. He's trying to, you know, get rid of his memories. Uh, and uh, then in the climax, uh, Sylvester, who directed, um, you know, does some homages to the Wild Bunch. Uh, and, uh, you know, the intentions there were, were very interesting. And, and, and I really applauded. What he said to me is, I don't think we ever got your character as displayed in the book. Um, and we never quite made him on the screen. So he said, this time around, it's going to be your character from the book. So, you know, a complex uh, kind of journey. Uh, and, 
uh, you know, uh, 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 even though I, I dislike the third movie a lot, it's just, it's just, it's the second and third act are the same, and it's just a repetitious uh, film. Uh, but in the second one's kind of fun. It's kind of like Rambo of the Apes, you know. It's kind of a Tarzan movie, <laughs> uh, and you know, and he comes out of the wall of mud and all that. There's a lot of fun in the second one. The third one's just dreary, uh, and the fourth one had ambitions uh, that you know, and the, the beginning and the end worked out very well, but it's got a, a crummy middle. Um, but, with a huge uh, body count. With a huge body count. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, but what Sly told me was that he had strong interference from the uh, production uh, people, that they wanted this to be uh, something for 16, 17-year-old Asian males, uh, that they just wanted, you know, that it, it, it's a, a genre that we maybe don't understand in, in the United States or, or in the West. But um, anyhow, that's what the movie turned out to be. And, and But the beginning, I thought, you know, where he's catching cobras and the cobra kind of roises up and looks at him and it's like takes one to no one, you know. I just <laughs> thought, I thought, you know, that's cool. And then at the end, you know, where he is kind of washed himself where he's gone through a purgation and and you know he's he's you know a catharsis through this ultimate battle and suddenly we're back uh in the united states and he's wearing the same clothes that he wore in the first scene of first blood uh you know and he's come home and my wife when she saw it with me she gasped i mean there's some nice stuff in it but it you know it's just too bad about that middle it's so funny that, uh, like, you describe the movie studios as making the first movie, not thinking about sequels and and trying to just make a good story. And now yeah. for a studio to think that way would be unheard of. Like, now they're only thinking about the sequels and well, you know, franchises. Uh, it, it's true. It, it, you know, sequels, remakes, uh, and, uh, you know, given our topic here, characters adapted from uh, comic book franchises, that does seem to be... Uh, you know, where uh, we have to remember that uh, with the collapse of the DVD market, uh, which was, you know, which was the godsend for, for studios, it's where their profit was. And then, you know, Netflix and streaming sort of took away the DVD market and then studios were lost until they discovered China and India. Uh, and uh, the, I mean, that's the that is the audience that studios look to 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 really make the big dollars, and they're essentially making American movies for people in India and China. Um, and you know, it's just the way it is. Uh, uh, but every once in a while, you know, something uh, gets past us, you know, them or what have you. And and uh, the, I was watching, and uh, unfortunately, well, I, I don't know if it's unfortunate. They are sequels, but uh, and this is so far from our, you know, from the from what we've been talking about. But Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy made a, a series of films called Before uh, Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. My favorite movies of this year. Uh, uh, yeah, well, the first two, of course, are, you know... But, Nine uh, and 18 years old, yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, b before um, uh, uh, Midnight, I watched that last night. Uh, we, we, My wife and I watched all three in a row, and I just heard so much about them. I said, well, gee, I, I guess I better watch. Um, and, you know, it... As you say, this 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 is such skilled filmmaking. It's such unique, you know. That, uh, uh, and, and nothing happens in them. Uh, a man and woman meet. 
uh, and spend a night together wandering uh, through an exotic city. And 10 years later, they meet again and uh, share a few hours. And 10 years after that, I'm using, you know, round numbers here, um, and they meet again. Uh, but now they're married and they have two children. And, and you know, that third movie, Before Midnight, uh, I, I, it occurred to me that's the most harrowing marital recreation of a marital argument that I've ever seen on screen. I mean, and it's so believable. And these characters are so much what they are in their characters. So... Um, you know, again, this is, you know, somebody going from <laughs> Captain America and Spider-Man to look at this, they'd say, well, wait a minute, it's just two people talking. But I do think that, you know, whoever was responsible for this had a lot of courage. And, and, I, and I think they made it the movies for a reasonable price and probably made some money on them. Uh, Lord, no, you know, I even talked about this on Facebook today about how much I like these movies. So, you know, uh, uh, God knows we love comic books, uh, but uh, we we don't, you know. It's there. Uh, we don't want the studios to do nothing but big special effects films. Uh, well, David, I also don't want to take too, too much more of your time, but I, I, I mean, I do want to talk. You know, to, if, if we can kind of, uh, as a as a third arc, a third act here for the conversation, uh, focus a little uh, on Spider Man. Now, um, you you don't have a ton of experience with Spider Man, right? I mean, you you you've read some stories, but I mean, do you have? I mean, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with the character and, you know, any, anything that you did to kind of, you know, dive into the story that you, that you worked on here? Well, see, I didn't think, I mean, sure, I've, I've read some comic book, some Spider-Man comics, but, you know, God, my heavens, there's so many of them, you know, that would be a career in itself. Uh, you know, I've, <laughs> I've, and I've seen the films, some of which are better than others, obviously. Um, but I knew the origin story, right? And, and I knew, you know, it's Peter Parker, it's Spider-Man, it's Aunt May, it's, you know, poor Uncle Ben got killed. Uh, you know, uh, Peter is haunted by this. Um, the the you know with great power comes great responsibility line. Uh, I mean, I didn't need much else. Um, you know, I if, if I wanted to do a piece about Peter and Aunt May, I didn't need much else. You know, I, I and and then it became a question of, you know, how to tell a story that tested his his understanding of what. Uh, uh, great power, great responsibility means, uh, and this is addressed in the in the piece. Uh, uh, it, it's you know the dial. Some of the dialogue um, is going to surprise uh, uh, people because in, it's almost philosophic at times, uh, and but it all addresses the issue of the cost to, to Peter Parker of being Spider-Man. And I mean, do you think you have? future Spider-Man stories to tell or Peter Parker stories to tell? I mean, if, if Marvel came back around and said, let's, let's, let's do this again, I mean, would, would, would you want to tackle this character again? Or do you think oh, that... Oh, sure, uh, sure. Or, you know, another one. Again, it ha all has to be... Uh, it has to be whether I am fascinated by the mechanism that made this makes the characters work in the first place, uh, you know, rather than just having a lot of, you know, leaping from building to building. Uh, you know, I want people to understand. I want people to be inside this guy. And uh, I mean, there's a scene. I, I don't think this gives anything away. Um, 
in terms of the story, but there's a scene where he has been out, you know, doing what Spider-Man does, and he's come home exhausted and free. He's frozen, and he's in the shower, hugging himself, shivering, and we have a close shot of the Spider-Man costume lying on the floor of the shower stall, you know, as water runs over it. Now, um, I, I, I suggest that that might be the most realistic detail that's ever been in a Spider-Man comic book. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, it's certainly specific. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds great. I mean, you know, I mean, I think we're definitely all looking forward to this. It's, it's, you know, it's, you know, I think, I think we're also used to certain, to a certain level of storytelling that I think it's going to be fun to see something that's, that's approached, you know, a little differently with some new voices right Dan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it sounds like, you know, David, your take is almost completely opposite of what we get in the normal Spider-Man series. Not that we can't get emotion there, but um, they move so quickly and so fast-paced, much like your big special effects extravaganzas. So, like, I know my favorite stuff is these quieter tales that... um, that really look at the character. So, I, I mean, just talking to you, I'm, I'm very excited for this now. Uh, the, well, the, uh, what, my recommendation, of course, you know, the artwork is so really beautiful that, um, you know, uh, people will, will want to uh, flip through it just to see how, what a great job Klaus and the, and the colorist have done. Um, but, uh, you know, if if I had my wishes, people would take the first issue and hide it somewhere and then wait to the second issue and then read them as a continuing story, uh, you know, building and building and building so that the catharsis at the end. Uh, you know, will have its full effect, or, or, or uh, as an alternative, if people want to read the first one, then read it again before reading the second one. Because uh, honestly, I worked very hard to establish a unity here, and to uh, you know, a continuity, sort of latent images uh, that that uh, I'm, I'm not saying this very well, but in second reading, that you know, some of the devices and the scenes and the details in the scenes that I chose will you know rise to the surface and, and people will see, you know, how they're functioning on a, uh, for lack of a better word, an archetypal level. Uh, but I was so pleased, you know, to have that shot of Captain America or of Spider-Man's costume, you know, and dirty and all that from everything he's been doing. And there it is, you know, in a pile. <laughs> I just love it on the floor of the shower stall. Um, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if there's ever been this degree of intimacy, uh, you know, for the character. And, and there are, several very long scenes in, in which Peter and Aunt May just talk. But what they talk about, I think, is so fascinating that, you know, people will be uh, genuinely touched by their relationship. Awesome. I, I can't wait to read it. I don't even want to know anymore. I, yeah. <laughs> I just want to read it. <laughs> um, well, you're, you're very kind. You know, you can sense my enthusiasm. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, it's... Uh, well, the proof is in how people react, but at least this wasn't, you know, something that was tossed off. This is the product of a lot of good intentions. Great. Well, well, 
Well, David, before before we let you go for good, um, besides <laughs> December, it's December fourth and December eleventh at your local comic book shops by Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, 700- wait a minute! No, but hold it, hold it. Maybe you know something more than I do. Are these coming out that quickly? I thought they were coming out in January. First one in December, and then the other one in January. Are they coming out within two weeks of each other? Within within a week, they're because they're doing. They're, they're, this is these are two of five special one-shot issues that they're they're releasing. It's seven hundred point one point two point three point oh there's God. five of them total right dan yeah i'm ever glad you told me this because um uh you know some people have uh you know uh, are buying this as you know christmas presents holiday presents for people and what have you and you know and i i was thinking gee this is too bad they gotta wait a whole month no, they know, it. it's only a week <laughs> oh well this is great because then um uh, i i'm gonna uh, uh change this from for you know communicating on facebook and um you know we'll be able to get these out to people before the end of the year um you know uh, people will have some neat things under the tree perhaps that they hadn't counted on i'm very glad you told me that i had no idea well, you know, I'm I'm not waiting for for the, for the under my tree though. I'm just grabbing them the day off, right, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I will be at the store the minute it opens. <laughs> I get you. Very well. Good. I was. <laughs> I wanted to ask you if if uh, you'd like to plug um, any other ways where we can, you know, read your work or or yes. you know where you're on well, social media. Just where where we can follow you and and maybe buy your stuff and you know well, make well, you a happy you. person. <laughs> thank you very much. First of all, I want to put in a plug for a, a novel that came out this year called Murder as a Fine Art. Uh, Publishers Weekly chose it as the uh, one of the. Top 10 best mystery thrillers of 2013. Uh, in uh, August, it was number one in all of the Kindle universe on Amazon. I mean, it was just such yeah. a hoot to rise to the very, very top of, and it was a New York Times bestseller. And it's, uh, you know, I'm known for my American, contemporary American subjects, but I fell in love with 1854 London. I fell in love with, the, you know, that gloomy, uh, noirish, Victorian, fog-bound, harrowing streets. Uh, and uh, so Murders of Fine Art takes place in 1854 London, and it's uh, based upon, it's a novel, but it's based upon the first publicized mass murders in English history. So everybody, of course, thinks uh, Jack the Ripper, but Jack the Ripper came late. He was in the 1880s. And these mass murders, very, oh my God, they were gruesome, in 19, in, I'm sorry, 1811. And uh, the, the, the improved roads coupled with uh, what was then called the mail coach system, uh, you know, coaches set out from London with the news and they were able to go throughout England at, within two days. Uh, and London had 52 newspapers at the time in 1811. And those, uh, those newspapers went out with the story of what were called the Ratcliffe Highway murders. Uh, and they paralyzed the entire nation. Uh, and then the murders happened again. There were two sets of them, uh, 12 days apart. And uh, when the second murders came, I mean, really, uh, England shut down. Uh, and uh, uh, my story is based in 1854, in which someone is recreating those murders, uh, 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 trying to be identical and perhaps even a little worse. Uh, and it's, it's a real ride. It's, uh, uh, and, and the other thing is it's, you learn a lot about Victorian uh, culture. I wrote it as a kind of imitation 
Victorian thriller. They called them sensation novels. Uh, and so you learn, when you're done, you'll feel as if you've, you've actually been there, that you've learned about Victorian culture in a way that you, you never were capable of doing it before. So uh, pretty, uh, uh, so I, that's, that, that's the other big thing that went on this year. Uh, my, my website is davidmorell.net. Uh, my name's spelled M-O-R-R-E-L-L, and it's .net as in like the network of readers. And, and it's a very ambitious site that is meant to look like a magazine. So it has lots of information, lots of attractive photos, and a picture of me and Sylvester and things like that. And then I'm on Facebook as well. I have a robust Facebook page, uh, 16,000 visitors. And um, we, we do, I, I'm there every day, and we have long, long discussions today. We had, yesterday we had a topic um, that had a hundred people talking uh, about the. It's a it's a salon kind of thing. It's about it's about books, movies, uh, uh, films, uh, uh, music, and the, uh, today, in fact, I, the Facebook topic was those movies we talked about briefly uh, before sunrise, before sunset, and before midnight. So uh, we have a, we have a good time there, and I'm very accessible. I, I you know I do all of this myself, and uh, you know so if people want to visit me in any of those places or or uh, get uh, murders of fine art. I promise you that 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 book uh, that you'll say, "Wow, um, I feel like I'm on those streets in 1854." Well, again, David, we we, we really do. Well, Dan, before, actually, before I do that, do you have anything else you want to throw in there? No, I I just love hearing about it. I'm going to check your book out, and um, I'm already checking out your Facebook page, and it looks like some great conversations going on. You know, we, we've got a lot of stuff. So, you know, sometimes I, 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 it's about what I'm doing because, you know, people want to know. But I, I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be about the books and the movies and all that. And uh, What are they saying? Are, are people responding to those uh, three films? Yeah, they are. You have like 44 likes and like, <laughs> you like 10 comments. And I'm seeing images here from uh, Spider-Man Frost. I've actually not yes. seen any of the interior artwork and I'm oh, checking that okay. out right now. That's the first page uh, of uh, Spider-Man Frost. It's without the captions. Yeah. Uh- uh, uh, but uh, you know, I just thought you know, let Klaus's work stand alone there, and and that you can see the color uh, uh, that uh, I'm talking about. You know, I mean, this thing really pops off the page. Um, uh, but the editor, when he first saw it, Stephen Wacker, when he said, he said, "Wow, I didn't think it'd be this warm," uh, and he meant that in a good sense. Well, again, we, we, we really do look forward to it. Obviously, we're, we're, we're very appreciative that you, you dedicated oh, your time. It was, it was fun. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I do a lot of interviews, and, and this one, uh, it, it, because it's a different subject and all that, you know, it, it, uh, it, it was very engaging. I thank you for having me. Oh, well, thanks oh. for coming. Yeah, say, we, 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 we hope we, we, you know, sounded somewhat engaged in town. No, no, we get it. I feel as if I talk too much, but on the other hand, that's why I'm here, I guess. But do let me know what you think of it. Uh, you have hit my email address and let me know what you think of it when uh, when you have a chance to look at it. We will do. Absolutely. All right, David. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. We really appreciate you're, it. You're quite welcome and uh, happy Sunday to you. Yeah, same to you. Amazing friend.
All right. Well, thanks again to David Morrell for for taking the time out to to talk to us on Superior Spire Talk. I mean, it, it's again, I, I'm really intrigued and excited to get my hands on this series uh, when it comes out. Uh, hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be in the upcoming week. Yeah, I mean, it's just great to you know to to hear this kind of enthusiasm from from a writer, and and for me, it's just exciting. I mean. We've talked to so many interesting people from all different like walks of life on on this show, and uh, and David is definitely an interesting voice um, in in the writers community. And it was a really fun time to have him on the show. Absolutely, Dan. Well, of course, you guys can find all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.podomatic.com or find us on iTunes by searching Superior Spider Talk. And if you do. Please leave us a rating and comment and let us know how we're doing, and we'll read it on the air. If you have any opinions on these comics discussed today or any questions, please email them to us at superiorspidertalk at gmail.com, and we'll address and read them on the air. And don't forget to pick up David's new books, Amazing Spider-Man 700.1 and .2. Yes, and also uh, be sure to check our Facebook page at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk. It's a great place to keep up with us in between shows, as we often put up articles that we've written, including, you know, I'll definitely be putting up what I write on Chasing Amazing about these 2.1 issues. So, uh, you know, for for you listeners out there and for David, if you're listening, that's that's one place where you can find some of our, our work. Uh, and then we also put other breaking news about the Spider-Man universe and its connected titles and, of course, how to get in touch with us. Uh, and Dan, where can we find you outside of our Facebook page? Well, of course, you can always find me at dangavazdan.com or on my Twitter, at dangavazdan. Or you can find uh, me in my movie reviews, and you've got a little taste of my uh, taste in film in that interview there, at grindmyreels.com. How about you, Mark? Uh, yes. Uh, well, as always, you can find me at www.chasingamazingblog.com, the hub of all things Mark and Spider-Man, I guess. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. You can find me on the old Facebook at facebook.com slash chasingamazing. And then there is my uh, semi-weekly column at Comics Should Be Good blog, gimmick or good about 90s comics. Awesome. Well, uh... Mark, I had a great time talking to you today. Yeah, Dan, it was great talking to you, too. Did you um, get to talk to anybody else uh, recently that I should maybe know about? Well, I don't know if, if it was a person, per se. It was, it was more like a whisper on the wind. You know, I was, I was out walking through this graveyard, and, you know, I'm just you know, in, in the middle of um, Brooklyn. So I, I'm sorry that, you know, I didn't say hi to you again. I just I keep ending up in your neighborhood and not saying hi. I, I apologize profusely. It's really obnoxious, Dan, but that's okay. Okay, well, so I'm wandering through this graveyard, and I just – I'm hearing these sounds around me, these <sighs> – you know, like this, and I'm like, "What the hell is that?" You know, and and it's cold, and I'm shivering. And is it I, The I, Shining, Dan? Was it The Shining? No, it wasn't The Shining, Mark. Okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't in upstate New York, so anyway, <laughs> so I'm I'm walking I'm walking through this graveyard, and I hear this voice on the wind, and um, and it's talking to me about a, a microscope. Uh, a microscope. I think I know what you're talking about, but but you know it's 
It's funny. I was in the same graveyard and I saw some kid walking away with a microscope. I, 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 but, you know, that was the microscope I left at my Uncle Ben's grave because, you know, I wanted to remember him and his mantra, which is with great podcasts must also come superior spider talk. 